Your insurance needs are as unique as the work you do and the industry you're in. Having the right protection in place is just the start. There's so much you can do to mitigate risks to your business for today and as you grow. At Sovereign Insurance, we're here to help with valuable information, insights, tips, and tools to help you protect your operations. Visit SovereignInsurance.ca to learn more. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, a weekly show serving Canada's entrepreneurship community. I'm your host, Rick Spence, business journalist, editor, public speaker, and entrepreneur. After 15 years as the national entrepreneurship columnist at the National Post, and as the former editor and publisher of Profit, the magazine for Canadian entrepreneurs, I've learned what makes Canadian startups special, scalable, and successful. On this show, we connect you with Canada's most innovative and entrepreneurial leaders and changemakers. You'll meet the people driving the entrepreneurial movement and we'll share their first-person adventures and their tips, hacks, and best advice for running startup and growth companies. The Startup Canada podcast is a production of Startup Canada, the national rallying community for Canada's 3.5 million entrepreneurs. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. To entrepreneurs everywhere, this is your show. Ladies and gentlemen, entrepreneurs from coast to coast to coast, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. During the month of March in celebration of International Women's Day, Startup Canada, startup communities, leading women entrepreneurs, government and industry partners are coming together to celebrate the contributions and achievements of women entrepreneurs to the Canadian economy. This month in the Startup Canada podcast, join us as we chat with women founders and support organizations who are choosing to challenge the status quo to build a more gender-balanced world to accelerate gender parity and unleash the economic potential of women. Today on the show, we're thrilled to have Dawn Setford. Dawn Setford... She Who Keeps the Feathers is Mohawk Bear Clan, whose familial territory is St. Regis, Akwesasne. Dawn is the founder and president of the Indigenous Arts Collective of Canada, home base for more than 250 Indigenous artists. She's the facilitator for the Indigenous Women's Arts Conference and IndigenArtsy.com, a multi-vendor Indigenous arts marketplace. Dawn has dedicated herself full-time to protecting endangered Indigenous art forms to empower Indigenous women and the next generations of traditional Indigenous artists. Dawn is a feather keeper and artist, practicing and sharing traditional bird medicines. Her skills, knowledge, and collections of feathers are showcased at her website, PassTheFeather.ca. When she's not uh, working on feathers or sharing them, she's a graphic and web designer whose focus is on Indigenous business and organizational branding and marketing. Dawn, what can I say but welcome to the show. <laughs> say go. Thank you, Rick. Thanks for having me. Delighted to have you. First question, always the same here at Startup Canada. What are the top pieces of advice that you hope entrepreneurs will take away from our conversation today? Mm, that's a big question. Well, um, if I could just start by acknowledging, uh, do, doing a land acknowledgement is, is kind of an important aspect to, to talking with Indigenous Absolutely, people. Yes. And, uh, yeah, and you're in Toronto, so so, uh, and I'm in eastern Ontario, in Maydock specifically, so we're sharing uh, this land with the Haudenosaunee, the Algonquins, the Huron-Wendat, and uh, 
I'm honored to be able to work uh, and run my businesses on this land. When you ask me the top advice, it's a tough one. Um, I would say doing it in your own way, in your own space and in a way that brings you happiness. I think that's what entrepreneurship is about. Um, you know, if the this pandemic hasn't taught us to reconnect to Mother Earth and our loved ones and what makes us happy, then we clearly haven't been listening. So I would say, you know, um, pressure yourself enough to get it done, but not enough to make it painful. And, um, you know, that, that success isn't just financial. It's um, really only defined by your state of happiness. I think I, I would run on that for now. I, I, if you ran on that, you'd be elected. I love it. I, I think you put that really, really well. You're an artist and an entrepreneur, so I'm, I'm, and you know, those aren't always exactly the same. And I get the impression that you're more artist than entrepreneur. But tell us about um, how your artistic interests blossomed, and then how that began to align with sort of an entrepreneurial uh, way of life. Well, like many Indigenous women do, um, I've carried a lot of trauma with me, and um, this is intergenerational. It's it's part of our body and and part of our mothers and grandmothers, and but it is what makes us strong, determined, and really self sufficient. So, um, I was often um, quite ill when I was young. Um, so I couldn't commit to any schedule that was determined by someone else, you know, like showing up to work at a certain time. So that's when I started my first graphic design business. And I was probably about 23, 22 or 23. Um, and I didn't look back after that because, um, I kind of learned that if, if someone else structured my day, it, it seemed inconvenient, <laughs> Um, but if I structured it around the things that made me happy and when I was feeling well, um, I suddenly felt really successful and, and a lot of things became easier. Yeah, I, I guess that's how it began. Um, I mean, not to say I haven't worked for other people because I certainly have, um, but working for myself uh, is always when I'm happiest. I was going to say, which is more fun, but you already answered that question. What's interesting is is that um, I guess your view of entrepreneurship is, is is in at least one way is similar to mine. I love the way that entrepreneurship enables people to engage with business on their own terms, in their own way, in their own time, and and do what they want. And 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 I and I love what you said. You know, to be able to 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 show up and follow someone else's rules isn't always the easiest thing. And entrepreneurship is this wonderful tool. You know, it, it requires a lot of discipline, but it's discipline that comes from within, which makes it uh, a, a little bit more tolerable. Well, exactly. And, and, it, and it's in your control, right? So, so you don't work so hard that it's painful. You, you, I think entrepreneurship allows um, someone to, create boundaries, right? Because right. there's so many pressures from different directions with, and especially home-based, um, which is um, the way I've always done it. Um, but yeah, I mean, women in home-based business, my gosh, their responsibility. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, the funny thing is that the 
the business world is adapting and seeing that home-based business is 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 you know at least one path into the future for for big organizations as well as small and i was reading on twitter the other day that um bed-based business <laughs> is becoming a thing <laughs> you sit in your laptop with the, the the laptop tray and get it all done without getting out of bed so well, exactly. When the pandemic started, I my I had daytime pajamas and nighttime pajamas. But now, the year, <laughs> my nighttime pajamas are also my daytime pajamas. So yeah, I mean, it all blends together. And however you get your work done, and if that makes you happy, then do it that way. Right. Tell me about your your start as a graphic designer. Um, you know, a wonderful way to to mix your uh, creative abilities with. Uh, you know, earning an income. Who were you working with and, and how did you find that? Well, I, um, yeah, like I said, I, I wasn't well. So one of the things I could do was sit at a desk. And um, when I started, I, I'm self-taught. Um, I have taken courses, but for the most part, I played with CorelDRAW and graduated to Adobe. <laughs> but um, I, I, I loved All it. All hail CorelDRAW, yes. <laughs> Corel draw. It was fabulous. It was. Um, yeah, it really was. And and it was just, you know, I'm not so good with um, a pen and a paper, but for some reason, being able to draw lines and and mix colors on the computer just really became an expression of who I was. And then I and then I could put myself into you know a customer viewpoint of. Um, how they want to represent themselves. And I just became really intuitive when it came to creating logos. So I, I created quite a few logos and promotional products. That was what I first did back, oh my gosh, 20 years ago. Um, and, um, you know, for, for, for small business um, in the Niagara area, I was, I was raised uh, in the Beamsville kind of St. Catharines area. So, so that's how I began just, just doing graphic design for small business and, putting embroidery on hats. I bought a little sewing machine and started doing my own embroidery. And, and, you know, when I realized people paid money for that, I got pretty excited that I could pay the bills and be happy at the same time. Exactly. That's the beauty of entrepreneurship. So by the way, I remember talking with Michael Copeland once, who was one of the founders of Corel. And he said that one of his favorite things was, you know, at the end of the day, <laughs> relaxing or something, he would just play on Corel Draw and just draw and sketch. And uh, I always loved that image uh, because I think, you know, the the first paint programs were really uh, game changers. And uh, and I used to, I have no artistic uh, abilities at all, but I used to love playing with that. And I was so delighted to hear that Michael Copeland played with his own tools uh, as, <laughs> yeah. as, as well. So tell me a, a little bit about uh, Indigen Artsy and and your work with uh, the Indigenous Arts Collective and how you got into working with and preserving and enhancing Indigenous culture. Yeah, well, um, starting with the Indigenous Arts Collective of Canada, because Indigenous Artsy only came up since, since the pandemic um, arose. So, so if I backtrack a little bit, um, you know, there was a, there was a time in my late thirties when I really started to grab a hold of my culture. Um, and, uh, 
you know, started to realize that, that we're all kind of, we're all put here for a reason. Um, some of us are good mothers, some of us are good aunties, some are teachers, some are healers, and uh, I, I realized I'm a helper. So um, kind of the, the, the trauma that a lot of Indigenous women carry is, it has to do with theft of identity, right? So um, apprehension of children, either for residential schools or foster care. Um, and that created a, a really deep sense of fear and displacement for women and, and kind of messed things up. Um, and, and I bring up that because um, that's what brought me um, straight to creating the IACC um, is that uh, I was raised away from my birth family. So um, I've straddled two worlds um, my whole life, really. You know, the one where my blood comes from and, and the one that I was walking in. So while this doesn't really sound like a good thing. Um, well, you talked can... earlier about trauma creating determination yeah. and resilience. So everything, everything's there for a reason. Well, that's right. And, and that's exactly the point. Like this allowed me to almost become a bridge. Um, and, and I could bridge between um, people who were raised with their families and, and people that were raised in, say, Vineland, Ontario, like I was. Um, you know, and that's how the collective came to be, because I, I realized that I could use my own art um, of graphic and web design to help form artistic identities for other women. So I embraced that I was a creator both on and off the computer and that my cultural work as a feather keeper could contribute too, um, to developing you know, a stronger cultural identity for people. Um, and it was that marriage that made me so happy sharing all that. Um, and you know, the realization that when you have pride in your culture, you have pride in yourself. And helpers uh, like me, um, I can't resist teaching other women to carry that pride. It, it's contagious, right? Wow. And when women are confident, they teach their children confidence. And, and that's intergenerational healing. So the whole collective is about healing as much as it is about entrepreneurship. Um, people who heal are successful in more ways than just economically, right? And that's the goal is happiness and balance in the end. This is a question for you that I am totally um, ill-equipped to ask, but it, are we reaching a point where we can have Indigenous uh, generations that are sort of post-healing? Are we any, anywhere near that yet, or do we still have a long way to go in order to, to make sure that they have a sense of place for themselves and their identities? I think it's a process and, and I don't know, I don't know that it should be a post, um, you know, because if it becomes, that's a, that's a really, I'm ill-equipped to answer <laughs> that question. <laughs> I, I guess what I'm, what I'm saying is uh, a lot of who we are is because of what we've been through. Mm -hmm. So what I would love to see is really strong, healed young people creating more and just strengthening that culture so that we never forget what brought us here. Because that's so important. We can't forget what our ancestors and our grandmas went through. 
we'll lose everything if we forget that. But I think the beauty would be to combine that trauma with being healed and just, you know, standing tall and, and moving forward, um, you know, never forgetting. Um, I think that's, that's probably the most important, um, the most important thing I could mention about that. I, I don't think, I don't think uh, post healing is a thing. I think it's just growth, right? And never forgetting. Right. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Um, you mentioned feathers again, and I understand that, that I don't think that in my culture um, that I grew up in, we paid much attention to feathers, but I know that they have incredible meaning uh, in, 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 I guess, most North American indigenous cultures. Can you just, when, when you say you're a feather keeper, what does that mean and what do feathers mean in terms of uh, indigenous culture? Well, I'll start with the most obvious question. Um, Rick, can you fly? I cannot. Right. <laughs> and so this, <laughs> this is our connection to the birds. They hold this amazing capacity to, to fly above the clouds. And so in, and I think in every culture, there was a group of people thousands of years ago that sat outside at night and looked up at the stars. And that world is untouchable, right? Like whether you call it heaven or spirit world or sky world or the universe, um, the planets, no matter how you look at it, it's not something we can reach physically. Um, so this idea that, that, that birds are up there and they can connect because they can be here on the ground and they can be above the clouds. So this, this kind of spirituality that comes from, from that idea is, is what makes us revere, um, you know, and the Eagle and, and those high flyers. Um, those are those birds that we look to when we want to communicate. So either with, you know, ancestors or, I mean, I'm not coming from a religious perspective because this is, this is so pre-religion. Um, this is literally just an innate spirituality that comes from being connected to Mother Earth and and everything that she holds, and then everything in the sky, right? The sun, the moon, the stars. Um, so, you know, if you get me talking about birds, we can be here a long, long time. Just say, tell me about your role as a feather keeper. What do, what does that mean? Naturally, I've always been connected to birds. Um, I've always held feathers. I've always collected feathers. Um, and I've always, each time I had a feather in my hand, I connected to where that bird has been. So whether that bird has been in the woods on the ground, like a wild turkey or an eagle in the air or an owl in the trees, um, I'm connected to these feathers somehow um, and, and can't necessarily explain um, that connection with words in English, but keeping feathers is so that that feather is symbolic of, of our connection to the sky world or the spirit world. And so, um, you know, just having this eagle feather in my hand right now, I mean, this feather has been to a place that we can't even conceive. Um, so they're so incredibly sacred. Um, so basically, I have 
this I am sitting now in my in my studio in a massive, massive um I have feathers everywhere. Um and so my job with the feathers is is to give them to people. So so I give a lot of people feathers. I'm working on a project right now which um which allows me to gift an eagle feather to indigenous women who have lost children due to suicide or violence. Wow. Um, and and this is yeah, it's a really powerful project that I'm just starting. Um, so yeah, these feathers are to be given. Um, I also create uh, feather bundles, so they're like medicine bundles because when I talk about that spirituality that the bird carries, that's medicine. Um, and I create bundles of medicine with feathers, and I wrap them in hide and um, and people use them um, for smudge. I, that's not a great word, but basically, um, some people might call it prayer. Um, it's just the idea of burning um, some of the medicines that we have here in our woods, in, a, in our fields, um, and that smoke goes up. So, um, of course, again, we come back to the sky, and everything that goes up and can connect us to the sky is sacred. So we use feathers to move that smoke around. Um, and if you've ever been to a powwow, if you haven't, you should. Um, but it's it's pretty phenomenal how feathers are used in our regalia um, and through our ceremonies. So it's really a heavy topic <laughs> that would take up way too much time. But but that's the idea of feather keeping. It's, it's just my role to hold them, um, to take care of them, to collect them from the birds, and then to to give them or put them in the hands of people who need those medicines. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. So IACC, the Indigenous Arts Collective of Canada that that, that, that you founded, you helped found. Um, tell me what its role is and what your role is there. Sure. Um, the collective really, uh, it's the opposite of that when it started. It was a one-woman show <laughs> and that was me. <laughs> So I was the collective, me and all my personalities. Um, that's brilliant. But... <laughs> <laughs> and that's how it begins. Things begin with sparks. Things rarely begin with groups. Sometimes they do and they can be very powerful, but individuals are generally the, the catalysts. Yeah, absolutely. And the uh, so, I mean, basically, um, I ended up working with my husband. We had a we had a business in St. Catharines for a number of years. And when we sold that, I was like, wow, my whole world opened up. I could focus on um, filling my time with, for the advancement of Indigenous women and the work that they do. So generally speaking, um, Indigenous arts are really, um, you know, they're made at kitchen tables um, by aunties and mothers. And the sales venue is usually just... Um, going to powwows and powwows are social gatherings um, where different nations come together and they dance and go through ceremony and, and trade. So trade was the major function of, of powwows and gatherings. Um, and don't get me wrong. These are, these are very open to the public and I encourage everyone who has not been to one to go because it will blow your mind. Um, but that is the major venue for um, indigenous art. And it's also the way that, that most women make their money for the whole year. So um, with that said, the pandemic has crushed, um, absolutely crushed us. 
And there's a lot of women out there that are really struggling to survive because they didn't get that income last summer. And wow. and probably won't this summer. Yeah, it's a, it's a big deal. But I guess with the collective, what I was trying to do is is as I look at these women and and you know they they try to sell their work on Facebook and they and and you know they don't take great pictures. So you know, they don't really sell them and they, they're not really organized. And, and for me, being a super uber organized person, I'm thinking, well, maybe I could help them by, by showing them how to take a good picture of something that, that you know, would, would help them to sell that faster um, if, if that's their goal. So, so that's kind of how it came about was just me trying to put my talents out there in graphic design and photography um, and if I could help one woman um, just just sell a little bit more, um, that that was my point. That was my whole goal. So um, basically, when I would help one person, then another person would ask for help, and another person would ask for help. And now I have about 250 artists um, in our membership directory on that site. You can look them all up if you go to passthefeather.org. Um, you can look them up either by the kind of artwork that they make or by their name or by their territory. Um, and you can, all their contact information is there. So really, I'm just, a, again, just a bridge. Um, you know, uh, a lot of these women are working on cell phones. They, you know, they don't know how to use computers. Um, so, you know, I can just, I can just be that for them. I can put all their information out there for them and um and hopefully increase their visibility um and if they want to be making money off of what they're doing then then you know economically helping them out right it's interesting how often that image of you as a bridge uh comes up and 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 helping you know create a path that people can take to get over obstacles and and get to where they need to be. So that's a, a wonderful role. And that's so often what the entrepreneur's role is, which is why I'm so fascinated by the phenomenon. I got to ask you, who is the market? Who 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 buys this art? Is it uh, indigenous people who, who who buy their own art from each other or is it actually aimed at uh, a, a national audience, a global audience? In all fairness, it's both. So um, for the most part, you know, when when we're selling our work at powwows or gathering, it's going to be other Indigenous people that are buying it. Um, but that said, um, you know, historically, we know that Indigenous arts has been pretty kitschy at times. And, uh, you know, the the middle-aged non-indigenous ladies want moccasins and they like the beadwork and they love, you know, there's, there's so many genres and so many types of people out there. There's the, you know, the, the holistic people and the, the, the yoga people that say connect with, with our spirituality and burning our medicines or smudging and feathers. And so it really is a wide open market. Um, as far as who we target right now for Indigenous artsy, it's you know there's something for everyone on there. Um, we've got men who are carving um, antler and and bone and wood and all the way down to women that are sewing ribbon skirts. So um, yeah, I, I would say the the audience is as diverse as as we want to make it. Um, I think we can appeal to a lot of people. Right. I mean, the, certainly the, 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 the art forms of our indigenous peoples are 
you know, iconic, um, mm-hmm. th- thinking of the, the, the West Coast uh, Salish tribes and, and the people and the, and, and the colors they use and the, the, the thunderbirds and the totem poles and the, 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 in, the Inuit of the North with their, with, with, with the carvings that they do, the soapstone yeah. and everything. Ivory, yeah. You know, I mean, incredible work years ago. I remember trying to think through the future of Canada as, you know, what do we have to offer the world? Why, what do we have that can help us preserve the standard of living that was basically created by us being located accidentally next to the United States of America. How do we keep that going? And one of the theories that I came up with, and I don't think I've ever explained it to more than two people in my life. So this is getting an airing now, um, was the idea that we embrace our indigenous connections, the, the ways of looking at the world that, that are invisible to so many of us, but are so clear to people like you and, to 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 not to exploit the art and the culture, but to embrace it and to share it and to understand it and learn about it and share it with the, with the rest of the world. Is that sort of part of the mission uh, for you? Yeah. Um, Maybe not with a macroeconomic concern, but <laughs> well, I, I was going to say I think so. But when I, so when I reflect on the work that I do every day, so. Um, something that I've done is on my Facebook page, the uh, Pass the Feather Indigenous Arts Collective of Canada page. Um, I use my skills as a graphic designer and I link them to my knowledge of uh, an Indigenous woman. And if you have a look at that site, um, every single morning I post a new graphic design with a new teaching. Um, and, and they're really, you know, women centric, but they're also extremely connective to nature. And, and it's been really interesting through the pandemic that, um, all people are reaching out to me. They want to print them. They want a book. They want, they want to put this on their wall. They want to frame it. And I think that, um, I kind of, what was the question? <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, I think the world can be made better and the Canadian economy can made, be made better and a lot of people can prosper, a lot of individuals, if we really embrace, if, if Canada yeah. embraces uh, our Indigenous people. I know we, you know, the, the, the country tried for years to ignore them and sideline them and now they respect them without actually paying any attention to them. Um, can we go further? <laughs> Can we go further and and embrace this and make sure that every kid growing up, no matter where they are in the in Canada, can name our indigenous peoples, understand the differences, understand yeah. the, the the values and beliefs that they share in common, and you know the regional differences that that might make life so interesting. And I think if we can do that, then we have something original to give the world that. Uh, you know, being a secondhand American slash for British colony, um, <laughs> a, a voice that we don't have based on our traditional white colonial history. Wow. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So I, I want to just backtrack to um, a lot of the way I think, um, and I know that 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 this is a, a show about 
or a podcast about entrepreneurship and and kind of the economics that go with that. Um, and and you'll always find with me that that's not even at the front of my mind. <laughs> um, I'm more thinking about um, if Canadians could connect with Indigenous people of North America, that they would learn so much about happiness and sharing and connecting and respecting the natural world. Um, and that's what our art will show you. Um, and if history was written and put in a textbook by an Indigenous person, that's what our children would be learning in schools. Um, it's, it's a long conversation, this. And, and I just think that we need to be respected as teachers. And, and teachers, um, you know, that definition in a colonial world is, is a lot about getting uh, your PhD and getting a job and teaching in an institution. But, but for us, I mean, the birds are the teachers, right? And, and the trees and the medicines and the wind and the thunder, and these are all our teachers. So it's just two different perspectives, but an equally valuable knowledge. Does that make sense, Rick? Absolutely. And, you know, that immediately makes me think that in these days of climate catastrophe, as we're counting down to whether we can save the planet mm -hmm. or not, um, you know, that reminds us of how important ecology is and balance and just sheer respect for nature. And there's so much we need to learn as a country and as a planet about how to live, how to change not just how we do things, but change how we value things so that we can say that, okay, getting a billion dollars worth of coal out of a, out of a mountain <laughs> may not be worth poisoning this river for the next 70 years. Uh, we, we, we need a values change. And, and again, this is a, a way of getting there. And maybe Indigenous art in its beauty and authenticity is sort of the, uh, the, the, the sharp end <laughs> Uh, that, that can help uh, get the message through. Yeah, I mean, it, it's reminding someone. Um, and you can stop a person in their tracks if you just get them to the, connect to the fact that if there weren't that forest in front of you, you wouldn't have air, right? If, if there wasn't water, if there wasn't clean water somewhere, we wouldn't be here. Like, we would not even exist if it weren't for the trees giving us the oxygen. Do you know, so that by all accounts is the perspective that someone needs to become humble and respectful. Absolutely. I think that's what our art, you know, that's what our art is trying to tell people. And, and there's not always the right words to do that, but it is so valuable, like exceeding any economic claim it's it's about survival and you know it's about being happy while you're surviving and and being humble in that you know this humanity really is a bit of a a blip in in an otherwise really healthy ecosystem exactly and we have right, to like and, we're in the way right <laughs> and we have to recognize that there are two worlds going on right now. The world where we get in our car and drive uh, 300 yards to the store and 
a world where that is no longer a sustainable way of life. And that is coming down the pike sooner than anybody ever thought. So we have to get used to it. We have to uh, catalyze change. And, you know, entrepreneurs are the people, as we've already seen, who are, who are doing that. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and I'm all for it. Like, we've just got to, yeah, again, that, that whole idea of entrepreneurship is how can we how can we hold hands with money and happiness at the same time? Beautiful. So we all know that entrepreneurship is never easy. And I imagine that you had the usual bumps and bruises trying to get the collective going and create a platform for Indigenous art. What kind of barriers did you run into? Time and money, Rick. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, as a vo I'm a full-time volunteer. I have never been paid for the work that I've done um, with the collect collective over the past. So it's it's been an interesting um kind of uh, pressure on myself. Um, how much time do I want to put in um, without bringing a paycheck home? And, and fortunately, um, I chose that time and, and the women I'm supporting are more important. So, so that's really one of the, you know, the biggest challenges. But, but the other one um, that I don't know if you'll find interesting or not um, is the idea, a, a barrier for us is the idea of colonizing to decolonize and what i mean by that is so i'm supporting women in in advancing their cultural knowledge and teaching their cultural knowledge to the next generations so that we don't lose those art forms um but in order to do that i have to ask the government for money so it's kind of this weird um, dynamic of asking the very people who who have marginalized us to give us money so that we can pull ourselves kind of back out of that. Um, I don't know if that really makes sense. I guess it's because um, I call it sweet revenge. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's a pride thing, right? It's right. like it's like you don't want to ask for that from the from the for the very reason that you're you're there because of that. I guess um, I don't know. For like for us, art is not art; it's culture. Um, but at the same time, nobody can work for free because the days of trading hide for food are gone. Right? Like we need money now; we have bills to pay. Um, applying to the government for money. Um, it's not easy, but we have, I have to, I have to fold and I have to write what will make them happy enough to fund our, our cultural resurgence. It, right. It's kind of a tricky business. And, and that's been a real, a real struggle for me, like an inner struggle, I guess. But, um, but is it but your I goal to create a platform that's self-sustaining? So so, 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 I mean, it's for, perfectly legit to beg and borrow in order to build a platform that you that eventually emancipates you and, and, and means you're not dependent on government or charity going forward. Yeah. So I'm not a businesswoman. <laughs> I'm an artist and I'm really, really not that great at business. So um I, I'll, I'll come into the Indigenous Artsy. So I have an annual women's conference, Indigenous Women's Conference. 
um, that was supposed to have happened in March, but because of COVID-19, um, clearly that had to be postponed. And um, I got considerable amount of funding for that because I had such a successful conference in 2019. So everyone could see the value um, in, in in having this conference and, and kind of, uh, you know, protecting and reconnecting with these original art forms. So I had to figure out a way to start spending this money because if I don't spend the money, I have to give it back. Right. And it, it's right. And, and it's like, I've got it. And I, and I know all these women I want to spend it on, but how do I do that during a pandemic? Um, and I, I'll be damned if I'm going to give it back because these women need it. So how how can I how can I turn that into work, right? Like how can I how can I turn that into um, a program that doesn't involve us coming together physically? Because that's you know Indigenous culture is very much very very much social. Um, so right. it's been kind of a, a weird way to. Uh, it's been a huge barrier. So that's how I came to Indigen Artsy, was um, trying to trying to help these ladies, but but in a in a in a virtual way. Um, so I took some of the funding, um, thanks to uh, Heritage Canada. Actually, it was their Multiculturalism and Racism um, Fund that I was awarded, um, and I have been at my computer since February, um, learning and building this multi-vendor website. That So basically the artists have their own store. It's like, it's like a virtual shopping mall for indigenous art. And each artist has their own store. They put up their own products. They ship their own products. They're responsible for everything. All I am is the website really. Um, I'm just enabling them. And is this, is this, uh, Indigen Artsy or is this IACC? Yes. Yeah, that, so, so this, what I'm talking about now, the multi, uh, vendor marketplace is called indigenartsy.com and it's brand new this year as a result of, of the COVID restrictions. Um, and so I, I brought that up because you said, is this project, you know, are, am I building something sustainable? I really don't know because here's the struggle. Um, a lot of people who build these multi-vendor marketplaces, like say Etsy, um, they're collecting a huge commission from their artists. So, um, you know, that's why they're a, a billion dollar company. That's the capitalist way. Exactly. But I'm just Dawn. I'm just a middle-aged Mohawk woman in her basement who wants to help people. So... I put my commission really low because the lower my commission is, the more the artist gets to take home and buy groceries with, right? That's the bottom line. So, uh, you know, I've been reaching out to other organizations. So now all sorts of other organiz organizations are popping up and, and wanting to create a marketplace just like this. Right. You know, it, there are so many social entrepreneurs that I meet who are facing a very similar problem uh, to yours. And, um, you know, it's it's so important though that you recognize the the value you're creating for others to make sure that you get compensated so you can continue to create that value and expand your ability to create that value. If 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 you're wearing yourself out and and not keeping enough of that, 
Um, you know, a business isn't necessarily a bad thing. Business is an exchange of value, right? So I hope you're charging a, a rate that allows you to continue to take some time off and to expand and to ensure that this is a, a sustainable project for you and whoever else gets involved with it over time. Yeah, I mean, that's the goal. But it, and it's really dependent on how many artists are going to come on board, because um, I need to balance the fact that it needs to be sustainable and these artists need to put more money in their pocket. So I think the only way to do that is by getting as many artists on board to create the biggest freaking indigenous Etsy in the world, <laughs> right? Like that, I, it's just a dream to me to see, to see it soar into um, like an Etsy um, kind of thing because it's just so brilliant and it's so popular. Um, but I want it to be for Indigenous people. And and so, yeah, that is the goal and, and just getting more artists on board. So all the artists are, uh, they hold membership with the Indigenous Arts Collective of Canada. Um, so they first have to apply. Um, and we vet people pretty carefully to make sure that they are authentically Indigenous and that their products are handmade. Um, and then, um, once they're approved for membership, they can access all the programming that I've developed. So that would be, um, indigenartsy.com. And as well, we have a huge Facebook marketplace, which is fabulous. There's probably, uh, we must have about 60 artists on there. I've had to limit it because, um, it's just doing so well and they just put up, they can put up four products a week and they sell them in one day. So, I mean, some of the artists are, are you know, making $400 a week. And, and that to me is just amazing. I'm so thrilled. And that doesn't cost me a dime. So that's been working out really well. <laughs> they do it all themselves. I just hold the page. That's about it. That's fantastic. Well, thank you for everything mm -hmm. you're doing. I mean, I'm, I'm so excited that, that, that you're doing this work. And I know a lot of other people are as well, of course. Um, but getting the word out, creating this platform, enabling people to 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 to, to earn income and, and 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 raise their families and take pride in their culture. This is absolutely essential work in Canada. So thank you for all you do. Oh, I'm I'm really grateful to to have had a life that that I can um, that I can do this for people and and for me because you know the. I'm not going to deny that, you know, I also sell things on Indigenous Artsy. So, you know, the success of everything that I do, um, you know, it benefits Indigenous women, of which I am one. So, so I'd like to think that the hard work comes back to me, um, you know, in gratitude and a little bit of income as well. Right. What's the next project you're excited about, Don? Oh, the next project is retirement. <laughs> <laughs> It's been a long year, Rick. So um, just within the past, I, I made a promise to myself that in, in 2021, I would spend a little bit more time with myself, um, with my art, and um, just thicken up my boundaries a little um, because I, I was getting a bit overworked. So I think right now I'm just going to focus on keeping indigenartsy.com um, alive. Um, and, um, you know, I still have some funding for a conference, so I am hoping, um, fingers crossed that we all become very, very healthy in 2021 and that I can go forward with my 
um, Indigenous Women's Arts Conference um, this year. That would that would be a dream for me. Wow. Don Sedford, you're an inspiration. Thank you for all of this. <laughs> we talked at the beginning about, you know, talking about uh, reconnecting, doing things your own way, um, and, and and reconnecting with the earth and with your loved ones, and uh, turning all of our energies, wherever they come from, into uh, creativity and connection. So that's something you're obviously uh, very good at, and I'm very grateful that, the, that you're doing it on behalf of... Uh, uh, Indigenous people across the country. As we close out, we traditionally ask, is there one more tip that you can share us with us, a little bit of advice for entrepreneurs to take from your experience and apply to their business? Hmm. I'm going to come back to that, the idea that um, success is not just financial. It's, it's completely defined by your state of happiness. And, um, you know, advice wise, ask for help, look for help and accept help because, um, we are fortunate to live in a country where there is lots of help. And, um, you know, we just, with a click of a mouse, we can, we can find it, we can ask for it and we can accept it. Um, so if you need help, reach out because there's lots of people here waiting to help you. That's great advice. Can you just uh, do a shout out to someone or something who's helped you? Oh, you put me on the spot. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> someone who's helped me. I want to say um, my friend Marlene Murphy of Millside Ceramics. Um, she's been a real support to me. And beyond her, my board of directors, um, you know, I've got a brand new board of directors um, for the past year or so, and we are all Indigenous women. They are young, they are bright and beautiful artists and um, extremely well-educated. And um, yeah, I, I want to call out to them just, you know, for all the support that I'm getting. Um, I love it. And, and it empowers me to keep going. Fantastic. Don Sedford, thank you so much for sharing your story and your journey with us and for all you're doing. Um, it's, it's a wonderful way to, to, to celebrate uh, the power of women entrepreneurs in Canada today and what's going on in Indigenous communities as well. And thank you for joining us on the Startup Canada podcast. Thank you for choosing to challenge the status quo to help build a more gender-balanced world and release the full potential of women entrepreneurs. If you know an Indigenous founder who has demonstrated excellence and outstanding achievement in entrepreneurship, please consider nominating them for the 2021 Canny Indigenous Entrepreneurship Award. Applications close on March 15th. Visit ief-fie.ca to learn more about the Canny Awards and available uh, microgrants for Indigenous entrepreneurs in the consumer packaged goods and arts sectors. For more information on Startup Canada's Startup Women programming or to get involved, go to www.startupcanada.ca slash women. Thank you for joining us this week in the Startup Canada podcast, a weekly show dedicated to unlocking the potential of every entrepreneur. Stay tuned another minute to hear the latest startup community news and the upcoming events lineup, including our hashtag Startup Chats on Twitter every Wednesday and Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time. 
I sometimes show up there too. Until next week, I'm your Startup Canada podcast host, Rick Spence. 